So I did not time this marriage sermon with the royal wedding. If you are wondering. (laughs) But speaking of royal weddings, just last week I got to officiate two of our own in a beautiful wedding. And every time I do do a wedding, which is one of the greatest privileges of being a pastor, every time I do it, I give a charge. And a good charge is a short message given by the pastor to the almost married couple. And it's when you try to boil down the heart of marriage into one memorable point. And every time I do this, I'm being honest, every time I deliver it, it's as if I'm hearing it for the first time. I had a friend who came up to me during the reception and said it should be required for every married couple to attend at least one wedding a year so they can be reminded of the heart of marriage. C.S. Lewis once said, our struggle in life is not so much ignorance as amnesia. What we need to grow in is not more specialized knowledge. Usually what we need most is to remember the foundational truths. That could be said about marriage. We all need a reminder about the heart of marriage. In essence, we all need a wedding charge this morning. In the book of Proverbs, you could look at the book of Proverbs, especially the first third of this ancient collection of wisdom, as a divinely inspired wedding charge. In fact, the first third of this book is literally a dad charging his son before his son runs off and gets married. And historically, ancient Israel would utilize the book of Proverbs in that way. And so Proverbs is good news to us because it is the marriage talk that many of us never received. And we were left to figure it out on our own. Or we were left to whatever voice was in our life expressing the point of marriage. So what is wise marriage according to God? Well, Proverbs shows us that a wise marriage has two postures. Face-to-face and shoulder-to-shoulder. Dr. Doriani, he calls these the two postures of every good marriage. Face-to-face and shoulder-to-shoulder. Face-to-face is the intimate marriage. Shoulder-to-shoulder is the partnership marriage. And both are vital. If you think about it, if all you have is face-to-face, that would be, according to Proverbs, a foolish marriage. And if all you had was shoulder-to-shoulder partnership, that would be, according to Proverbs, a foolish marriage. Or worse, neither. But let's take a look at both and let's ask how these interact. So first, the face-to-face marriage. The first posture of a wise marriage is a face-to-face marriage. And so how do we cultivate this face-to-face reality or intimacy in our marriages? Well, God tells us three ways, more than that, but we're going to look at three ways. 
The first is this. To cultivate intimacy, we need to embrace covenant. Covenant. If you want, you can take a look at Proverbs 2.17. I'll be reading what 2.17 is in the NIV. It says this. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman in her seductive words. And then verse 17, listen in. Who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant that she made before God. The covenant that she made before God. The prophet Malachi uses that same word to describe marriage, but he flips it. It's no longer the adulterous woman, but it's the adulterous husband. And in both cases, what we see is we see marriage as defined as covenant. Covenant. The New York Times, they ran an article titled this, Till Death or 20 Years Do Us Part. And this writer asks sincerely if we should reconsider marriage in light of the rising divorce rate. So instead of understanding marriage as a covenant, he suggests a 20-year contract. For him, that's enough time to raise your children until they leave home. And besides, most divorces happen after 20 years. In part because the shoulder-to-shoulder is all that they've been cultivating and not the face-to-face. We'll get to that later. And we might scoff at that, we might laugh at that, but... I think we have more in common with that vision than we would like to admit. You see, most people approach marriage most days we approach marriage as a contract. Not as a covenant. Most people, including myself, We can walk into our day, if we're married, and ask, what am I going to get out of this? The Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf, he says, quote, A good marriage is not a contract, but a covenant. Contracts are governed by the pursuit of one's interests. Which is the theme of every rom-com, by the way. Doesn't mean they're not fun. But they are contractual. Because what's going on is a pursuit of one's interest. And that other provides what you are interested in. And vice versa. And when you find that, magic. Instead, Volf says, covenants are governed by the demands of love. Do you see the difference? One is the pursuit of one's interest. The other is the demands of love. And if you watch Disney's Frozen, you know what love is. Love is sacrificing yourself for the good of others. That's the one Disney movie I can quote on that one. (laughs) All right. So it's covenant. It's covenant. We will not grow in our intimacy and our marriages unless we embrace covenant. It is the essential ingredient to intimacy. Number two, friendship. Friendship. So the same verse, Proverbs 2.17, if you glance your eyes down at the text one more time, you'll see it describes marriage in terms of covenant, but also friendship. The word used in verse 17 is companion. Companion. 
which is a translation of the Hebrew word that means the deepest kind of friend. A recent poll showed that emotional intimacy in marriage is thought to be five times more important than physical intimacy. And if you were to ask John Gottman, who's a marriage researcher at the University of Washington, he would say, and by the way, he can, I guess, apparently predict a newlywed divorce with an 87% accuracy. So he is a marriage researcher. And what he would say is he would say that good marriages are anchored in friendship. So all that we learned about friendship in our Proverbs series, apply that now to your marriage. Remember, good friends challenge and comfort. They're wounders and healers. Not one or the other, always. And remember, when I say wound, I'm not talking about physical abuse. Or verbal abuse. What I'm talking about is someone who can speak truth into your life gently. A wise marriage cultivates friendship. Friendship. Number three, the face to face marriage is marked by sexual intimacy or physical intimacy. So, Proverbs 5, if you were to turn to Proverbs 5, you will see a divinely inspired sex talk given by a good dad to his young son. Which does not mean, by the way, that it's reserved for fathers to sons. Mothers and daughters. Fathers and daughters. Mothers and sons. And what in this chapter the father wants to do is have the first word on sex with his children. And we should too, by the way, because if we don't talk, if we don't have the first word, someone else will have the first word. If you think about it. But let's fast forward to verse 18 of chapter 5. And you'll see a little bit of what this father is aiming for. Let, he says, your fountain be blessed and rejoice. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. That word actually could be translated love making. And be intoxicated or drunk or led astray always in her love. Why should you be drunk, my son, with a forbidden woman? Which we could translate as to sex outside of its proper place. Does not need to be adultery. It could also be pornography. It could also be anything else that is not within God's safe and good boundaries. There's two things to notice here, just in these three verses. And you could see it if you were to read the whole chapter. Number one, he talks positively. He's not prudish. He's not sophomoric. He's not like Judd Apatow when he talks about sex. If you don't know that name, that's okay. Good on you. He has a positive view of sex and it's right place. And some would say there are two wrong approaches to sex. And one is overly negative and one is overly positive. Meaning one says sex is gross and the other says sex is God. And we can just think about this in our cultural moment. Our culture in general elevates and says sex and sexual chemistry is everything. The church rightly says, no, it's not everything. But they can go too far and say it's gross. 
And never talk about it positively within the context of God's covenant. Never talking about it in a non-prudish way. Never, like this text, delighting in it. Or speaking as if it is delightful. Or a gift, which is the third view. Physical intimacy in marriage as gift. As gift. As gift to be received. As gift like all of God's gifts to be enjoyed. The second thing we can say about these three verses is that uh, this good dad talks about sex in a a God-informed way. In a God-honoring way. It's his idea. And so unleashed in all of its glory within his good parameters. So the difference is, in my mind, between a brush fire and a bonfire. A brush fire is, is just unleashed and creates so much damage. A bonfire is contained and therefore stronger with more heat. Because it has boundaries. Boundaries that God set. So the face-to-face marriage has three ingredients. Covenant, friendship, and physical intimacy. All three are vital. And I would actually say in that order. Because sexual intimacy, physical intimacy is deepened and made possible by covenant and friendship. Have you seen the movie Paris Jatem? Seen this film? Paris Jatem? Paris Jatem is a compilation of five minute film shorts by different directors set in Paris, and some are way better than others. And there is one that I will never forget. It begins in a cafe in the Bastille Quarter of Paris, and there sits a married man alone and waiting. And you can see the glint of gold on his ring finger. And through the window is a woman walking, all in red, alone, and it captures his eye. This is his wife. In the time it takes her to enter the cafe and take a seat, the narrator tells us two things, his feelings and his plan. His feelings is that he loathes that red coat. It symbolizes everything that he dislikes about her, his wife, her predictability, her bad taste, her annoying habits. This is his thoughts. And second, the narrator tells us his plan. He's going to leave her and tell her so over dinner. But as she sits down, she starts to weep. And she's crying because she was just diagnosed with cancer. She's melodramatic, but it's a French film, so deal with it. Um, Okay? Uh, Just diagnosed with terminal cancer. And the husband is now, therefore, faced with a dilemma. Does he continue as planned to ditch his wife, marriage as contract? Or does he love his wife through her suffering, marriage as covenant? Well, the remainder of the film shows him serving his wife. He hangs up her favorite artwork on the walls of their home. He takes her to the afternoon showing of her favorite films. He goes bargain hunting with her. He reads to her her favorite novels in bed. And then at the end, he draws near to his wife while she's cooking dumplings. 
and he embraces her. And the narrator punctuates the silence with these words. By acting like a man in love, he became a man in love again. Intimacy is not prepackaged. It is cultivated by covenant. How are you cultivating, if you're married, the face-to-face marriage? Are you dating your spouse? Are you intentional? Are you going to counseling if you need to, even if you don't think you need to? Are you troubleshooting? Are you having fun? Studies show that your children are more well-adjusted when they are put second. Did you know that? And then number two, this, I'll ask, ask this briefly because for many of us, because we, are experience, we have experienced brokenness in our deepest relationships and we have struggled and been failures ourselves. Are you looking to Jesus first in your marriage? Because if you think about it, all three of these elements of intimacy is provided by Jesus and him alone with perfection. Jesus is the perfect spouse. He is covenantally faithful when you are faithless and unfaithful. Proverbs 1.45 says he always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. If, we were, if you were singing along with us, we sang a song in which to those who have broken vows, we now look to God who always keeps his vows. He calls us friend instead of what he could call us, his disciples or his followers. He says, no, you're my friend. Even when we're selfish, he says, you're my friend. And then he unites himself to us even though we are sinners. We have intimacy, friendship, and covenant fidelity from Jesus and Jesus alone. So do not look for it in your spouse what only Jesus can provide. And when you rest in his intimacy, only then, I think, will you be able to pursue face-to-face marriage in freedom and without fear. But there's two postures. Remember the other posture is the shoulder-to-shoulder posture, what we could call marriage partnership. And there are three ways I see in Proverbs that we could cultivate the shoulder-to-shoulder marriage. And the first is, we see it in Proverbs 14.26, we'll call it worshiping together. Think about it. When you are standing shoulder-to-shoulder, you are looking at a third thing. And the best way to cultivate the shoulder-to-shoulder, the partnership marriage, is first through worship of the true God. So Proverbs 14.26 says this, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. There is safety in your marriage. There is a fortress in your marriage when you fear the Lord. And more than that, it says, and for their children, it will be a refuge. So it spills out even into the life of your children. 
Remember, fear of the Lord is not a servile fear. It's not a slavish fear. But it is what you get when you combine awe of God and intimacy with God. It's actually what you get when you stand at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross, you see your sin because God is holy. And therefore, you have awe. And you ought to have awe in the presence of of God. But at the same time, you have intimacy because when Jesus is on that cross, he says to you, this will never be you. I love you this much. And more than that, by my spirit, I will unite myself with you. I will be your friend. You were once my enemy and now you are my friend. And so we have awe in his holiness and we have intimacy with his grace. And when we stand at the foot of the cross in our marriages, it is a fortress. Number two, stewardship. We can cultivate partnership with a stewardship mindset. Marriage in Proverbs is a picture of shared stewardship, and this sets us apart from our ownership culture. God calls us not to ownership, but to stewardship. We hold what God gives us. Spouse included, children included, home included, finances included. Gifts and talents included. We hold what God has given us. And we don't grasp white knuckle to them as if they're ours fundamentally. We are ambassadors. We're sent by God to steward and to hold the things in which we've been given. And so if you look at chapter 1 of Proverbs and look at verse 8 and 9, you'll see this in action. Proverbs 1.8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So, so hear your father's instruction and your mother's teaching. And this would have been explosively noticeable in the ancient context when women were not educated. And this assumes an education. And that she's instructing and she's involved in the life of her children. And you see the husband's involvement and the wife's involvement. And this tells us that husbands and wives are called to steward, to steward their children, for instance. I love this insight from Paul Tripp. He says there's two kinds of parenting, ownership parenting and ambassador parenting. I'll quote him. Ownership parenting is not overly selfish. It's not abusive. It's not destructive. It seems right. It feels right. Ownership parenting does many good things. But, he goes on, it is foundationally misguided and misdirected and will not produce what God intends in the lives of, uh, of, of those whom he has entrusted to our care. Ambassadorial parenting, on the other hand, has to do with the radical and humbling recognition that our children don't actually belong to us. Fundamentally. Rather, every child is God's possession for His purpose. And the only thing an ambassador does, if they're interested in keeping their job, is to faithfully represent the message, the methods, and the character of the leader who has sent them. Number three. Cultivate partnership with ministry. With ministry. Proverbs 31 verse 20 shows the wife doing ministry with her husband. So marriage is best understood as a ministry partnership. 
If you have children, your children need to see you um, doing ministry together. You are uniquely designed to do ministry together. Have you explored how that might be true? In whatever unique ways. LA Fitness has saved my marriage. I'll explain. I won't just leave that. That's that's a terrible mic drop. It's a terrible mic drop. Because at LA Fitness, my wife and I, at least once a week, have been able to walk around that track, the top floor, shoulder to shoulder, and pray together. And as we walk, we talk about our kids and our church and the week ahead and the things that are on our heart that are burdening us, the things that are exciting us. And we get to pray. And we're really glad that most people who, who walk on that track with us have earbuds in their ears. It's the shoulder to shoulder that has saved our health. So just, I'll ask you broadly, and you can ponder, how are you cultivating your shoulder-to-shoulder marriage? Remember, marriage mirrors the gospel, and the gospel is God flowing out of Himself into the life of others. God, who is perfectly satisfied, trying in Father, Son, Holy Spirit for all of eternity, decided to flow out, to send His Son, and to send His Spirit so that we could be drawn into relationship. So that same gospel, when, when we impact, when it impacts us, when it changes us, what that should do is it should then, therefore, flow out of us. We should start to think of other people besides us. If you're married, the temptation, I know it, I know it, is to simply isolate. But the gospel gratefully changes a period to a colon, meaning what God does, we can now give to others in ministry. We now can show hospitality to our neighbors as a married couple. Of course, do so as a single person as well. Jesus radically, in a culture which said, if you were not married, you were less than. Jesus radically says, as a single person himself, by the way, who is truly, perfectly human. He sends us into mission. Here's a question if you're married. Who are you blessing as a married unit? And let me ask in closing this question. Um, This, which posture are you cultivating more? Which, which posture, face-to-face or shoulder-to-shoulder, needs attention? Because if you think about it, if you're just face-to-face without partnership, without shoulder-to-shoulder, it will be unfulfilling because it's so self-absorbed. But if you're just shoulder-to-shoulder without face-to-face, it will lead to marriage burnout. And whomever you think you're serving as a shoulder-to-shoulder unit, kids, church, job, in the long run will be harmed. Maybe not the short run. And I'll just be perfectly honest. This is a conversation my wife and I are having. We're so 
shoulder to shoulder all the time, it can crowd out face to face. Both are critical. Wednesday night, in a rare moment, my wife Josie and I, we got a sitter, and we went to the She Has a Name training, and then after that, we went down the street to have a drink. And it occurred to us, days later, as we were walking around the track, frankly, that if it had not been for both the shoulder and shoulder of that evening and the face-to-face, the end of our week would have crashed and burned. We needed both. We desperately need both. We're so broken, we need both. And so the only way I believe that we can cultivate this is when you realize, again, your ultimate and most fundamental marriage, whether you're single or married. What is the most fundamental marriage if you are a believer? It is Christ's covenantal marriage with you. Did you know that? Did you know Ephesians 5 says marriage is about me and my love and my covenant faithfulness toward the church? Our union with Christ. Please listen. Your union with Christ means you have all the intimacy you need. And your partnership, your discipleship with the same Jesus. Meaning, you go where He goes. Meaning, He is giving your life mission. He is giving your life a purpose. He is giving your life. He's saying, hey, walk through this door. I know you're uncomfortable, but I'm leading you. I'm ahead of you. That sort of that divine mission that He gives us as, as Christ followers means you have the partnership that you need. Jesus, as it's been told by others, is the true and perfect spouse. And so you don't need, at your core, anything more than Him. And I believe when you rest there, you're able then to pursue these things in marriage. Whether you're not married, whether you are married. Whether you hope to be married or whether you are gladly married right now. Whether you are not gladly married right now. Wherever you are, rest in the marriage of Jesus.